Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Progressive Bitcoiner. I'm your host, Trey Walsh, and today we have on the show Lisa Huff and Dom Bay. Now, this is such a fun episode, and for those that are listening to this recording now, we actually did this as a live stream, which I mentioned via zap.stream. So going forward, we did this with Alex Gladstein, and with this episode, all episodes going forward are going to be live recorded via zap.stream. So if you missed the recording, that's okay. You can always check it out on YouTube or through the podcast, which is probably what you're listening to right now with this intro. But you can also follow us on social media. We'll find other ways to keep people uh, tuned in in terms of how to access uh, zap.stream and scheduling those. We usually post that on social media. So now there's more opportunities than ever to find our content and our conversations, which we're really excited about. But in terms of this conversation, um, this was really fun. This was such a good and interesting conversation. Some personal anecdotes, some talks on politics and Bitcoin, some talks on their nonprofit venture, Proof of Workforce, which is about Bitcoin education for workers, for pensions, for these groups of firefighters that are looking how to diversify their pension funds, all of that good stuff. Uh, so this was a really fun and interesting conversation. Um, we talked about financial surveillance and some of the different laws and proposals that are going on recently with that. And we talked about how Bitcoin is changing things and how Bitcoin can be a solution to a lot of our world's problems um, and including pension funds, including environmental concerns and things like that, that progressives really, really care about. So thank you so much, Lisa and Dom, for coming on the episode uh, and for constantly being willing to chat and go to different places with conversations. Um, and please follow along with them and their work as well, which is, which is in the show notes. Um, all right, before you get to the interview, I want to also mention our promo link to SAS Mining to get $50 off each and every miner for clean Bitcoin mining uh, right to the wallet of your choice. So please check out that promo link in the show notes and enjoy the episode. And we will see you again, either via live streams coming up or in a recorded episode out next week. All right, Dom, Lisa, welcome to the Progressive Bitcoiner. How are you both doing? Amazingly well, Trey. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Thanks, Trey. Excited to be on. Yeah, me too. And I, I feel like we have a lot to discuss within about an hour so or so that we'll run so here. So much. Um, I can't keep up with Bitcoin news at all anymore. And for those um, for those listening to the recording after the fact, um, you're missing out on the live stream right now. We've got a live stream going over on zap.stream that we'll keep talking about, which is accessible to anyone. And for those watching the stream, uh, thanks for being here. Um, and feel free to leave comments as we're as we're going. But this episode will basically recording wise drop in a couple of weeks. So I'm not sure what will change in a couple of weeks of the things we're talking about. Maybe not too much, but it's hard to keep up with, with Bitcoin news these days. And it's, uh, I think it's a product of number go up. It's a product of political tightening. It's a product of so many things. Um, but before we jump into all of that, um, why don't we start with some introductions? I think most people uh, well, no, I think most people might be familiar with you, Lisa, and then some more people are getting to know you, Dom, I think with a lot of your your work. Um, but why don't we start with you, Lisa, just a little bit about what you do, your background. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, I work for Custodia Bank. I joined Caitlin in August, and we are building, you know, as most people know, the first bank to bridge uh, digital assets with traditional financial services. And I choose the words digital assets just to clarify up front. Um, Custodia is is only focused in the digital asset space on Bitcoin. However, uh, we do have a Wyoming speedy charter 
and we report to the Wyoming Division of Banking. And in that, uh, they use the words digital assets. So when I say that, I refer to that for our charter purposes. But, uh, you know, I'm a Bitcoiner. I found Bitcoin kind of 2018, 19, really hopped in, uh, maybe in 2020, started a consulting practice and then went to work at Unchained and um, just became an, an, an advocate and and really am trying to, you know, you know, my own sort of mission is to bring as many energy people into the space as possible. Um, not that I don't love fighting for Bitcoin and carrying the Bitcoin flag, but I feel that they should understand at least that Bitcoin mining is such an efficiency tool for them and a way for them to monetize assets that they otherwise would you know, throw away or pay to have taken from them. And we can go into that or not later. But uh, you know, I feel like once they figure out how efficient it can be from a capital perspective and how creative it can be to them, that they will pick up the torch and and help us, you know, protect our our not only our economic freedom but our personal freedom as well. You know, energy freedom, onshore energy production is is energy freedom and national security. And I think Bitcoin is hugely related to that. So those are the things that I love talking about. Um, and I recently have joined uh, Dom in a uh, in a fantastic organization that he started. So I hope he'll he'll talk about that. But thank you very much for having me today. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll add too for those watching, we're getting some more folks that are tuning into our YouTube's, which is which is awesome. Um, Dom and I were wearing hats, and then Lisa felt a little left out, so she <laughs> threw on her her bee hat. I did. Uh, so pre- appreciate that as well. I threw on a hat because my hair was a little rough today. Well, um, and my but, bee sort of looks like the Boston bee, and people always ask me, they're, it like, does. they're like, is that a Bitcoin hat? I'm like, no, actually, factually, it says Beretta across the back. Mine is a Boston hat. Very proud here in the in the Boston area. So mine is mine is Boston. Uh, it can be Bitcoin too. Well, that's fine. mine mine is Beretta. Very proudly sitting in the great state of Texas. Yeah, there you go. Awesome. All right, Dom. We'll kick it over to you. Um, let folks know a little bit about who you are, uh, what you do, and what you got going on. Yeah. So my name is Dom Bay. What I do is I just follow Lisa around this incredible human <laughs> that's doing great work, and then I just like you know like you know you ever see like um, the little fish on next to the shark and they're just picking up little morsels. I I just try to like, (laughs) no, no. Um, uh, really excited to be on here with Lisa and and you, Trey, uh, a little about me. Uh, I've been a firefighter for 14 years. I actually first got introduced to Bitcoin, um, at a, at a random kind of conference that I worked in 2017, saw the conviction of the people there, went down that, that, uh, rabbit hole and started learning had an event, uh, a story that's very long to tell here, but basically a fateful rescue of an analyst from Swan in a few years ago or last year. Uh, and I was just finishing pretty much a 10-year career as an elected labor leader for the Santa Monica firefighters. I served on our, our uh, board, was very involved in labor locally, regionally, and at the state level. Uh, and I served as the president of the firefighters union. I was finishing that very intense uh, decade uh, of of service, looking forward to enjoy my the last year of my thirties as a non elected labor person. Um, and I was like, where where does where does Bitcoin and labor kind of intersect? And 
as I started exploring that, writing about it, I found that there were a lot of intersections, both as a value system and as Bitcoin being a tool for workers. And I wanted to help workers find this amazing thing that I found. And so started doing more work in that eventually led to me forming a nonprofit called Proof of Workforce. And our mission is very simple. We, we believe there's a Bitcoiner in every organization, group, workforce group, and we just want to provide them with the tools to bring Bitcoin to their group, their union, um, and help with the education-based adoption. And so we're doing that now. I got incredibly blessed to um, you know meet a lot of incredible people in the space over the years. Met Lisa. She, you know her her experience is amazing. Uh, her ability to connect with people from all different uh, areas and backgrounds is amazing. And so we're really lucky to have her on the board, along with some other great board members uh, doing great work uh, right now with Proof of Workforce. That's awesome. Um, yeah, you both are doing some of the coolest stuff, I think, in in Bitcoin. Um, and the reason I was really interested to, to talk with you both is, you know, thinking about kind of the mission of this podcast, trying to appeal to the left, appeal to progressives about, about Bitcoin, about some of those values. A lot of things progressives say they care about is workers' rights, um, a workforce. And I am trying to tie in what sound money can do for working class folks, for, for unions, for, but besides that, pension funds, just very practically purchasing power stuff, making it really, really simple for, for people. And we have all sorts of different episodes about all sorts of different things, but doing some of that work of just practically, you know, talking to folks about that is really, really life-changing. And I know there's been such a movement with, with you Bitcoin or firefighters uh, throughout Bitcoin, which is really, really cool uh, in terms of labor stuff. So, so thank you for, for doing that and jumping in. Um, I, I think it's incredible that you, you took that on, um, yeah, I mean, there's just and, there's just so much. So wh why don't why don't we start there? With it is with, incredible, with, Trey. It it is yeah. absolutely incredible what Dom has done uh, already in the space, and and really, it's folks like Dom who can who can bridge this gap of, um, you know, why Bitcoin is important to them individually, right? Like how it what is its protective nature to the individual, and mm -hmm. um, I you know I'm so delighted to uh, to chat with you today because I feel like if you're in the progressive conversation, you're really thinking. And I, what I see in our society is that we have, uh, we've outsourced the ability to think, right? We, mm -hmm. we rely on mainstream news. So it's folks like Dom that are really out there just having these, these conversations that, that make sense. I mean, Bitcoin is truly an expression of common sense. Every episode we do is like also focused on critical thinking. I almost inevitably get into it with each guest for a few minutes, whether it's a, a philosopher literally thinking about topics like that, or folks like yourselves of just like that ability to critically think and then push through the narrative on a certain subject. And my view of Bitcoin is it, it's just one of those things that's going through its witch trial, right? That, that we've had throughout society in terms of technological revolution. I don't know how long it'll be. I have a feeling it'll be a while. Um, and the only way to chip away at that is by doing work like like you both are doing in so many different fronts, having conversations like these and getting the word out and not not letting up and not letting things um, pass through legislation, which we might touch on just in terms of these overreaching rules, being very practical with what 
in this case, Bitcoin can do for, for people and for, for workers and, and focusing on that. Um, so I, you know, I wanted to kind of get into proof of workforce, this nonprofit and, you know, what are some of your more immediate goals, I think with, with the group and some of the conversations you've already started to have with folks around this, around this topic, whether it's just trying to get Bitcoin and then get people to save in Bitcoin, what these conversations have been like and the reception. And, and Dom, I'd love to hear from you. I know you mentioned um, you had potentially been speaking with some, some political folks out in California as well. I'd be interested to touch on that too. Yeah, Trey, I just also wanted to start, uh, I want to hit on that, but I wanted to say huge fan of what you're doing. You know, I just, I've been reading um, Crypto Sovereignty by Eric Casson, and um, he has a quote in there that says, in order for mm-hmm. us to, to win, we are going to, Bitcoin will need people from all different sects, religions, backgrounds. And so we really have to make sure that we can find ways for Bitcoin to work for everyone. Um my background for your listeners, you know, being involved with labor in California uh, is it's a it's a political system dominated by Democrats. I've worked with a lot of Democrats in their earliest campaigns that are now serving on the state Senate. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm much more, you know, over the years, I've been um, turned off by the the polarity of the political system, the two party system um, by by some of the extreme rhetoric and the fighting. And so I'm much more independent minded now. But I, you know, I was registered as a Democrat, I was one time was a, a delegate at a Democratic convention years back. So I'm very familiar with the the system, the folks that are in that space, have a lot of friends in that space. And like you mentioned, there's so many ways that Bitcoin can appeal to a progressive Democrat. Like we can't cover it enough in this show. Um, so really a fan of what you're doing and trying to explore ways that that, that plays in. To your question on the- Thanks, man. Non- I appreciate that. For sure. For sure. Um, with regard to the what we're doing, our immediate goals, I want every union to um, learn about Bitcoin and, and adopt it in one way. Uh, or another, every single one of them in the United States. That's a pretty hefty goal, but I think that, you know, um, we can achieve mm-hmm. it uh, or come close to achieving it. We're, I'm working with a few unions right now that are very close to following the lead of what the Santa Monica firefighters did. And they're very, very, very close. I don't want to jinx anything, but, you know, don't be surprised to see news coming out soon of the second, third, and fourth unions to officially hold Bitcoin and set up educational committees. So that's in the works right now. Like we're very much a result oriented nonprofit and we want to get these groups um, Mm -hmm. on board uh, to learn about Bitcoin. So uh, additionally, you know, I just got back from El Salvador and I was there at the same time as a, a group of elected folks from the state Senate, you know, there's a lot of barriers, I feel like, sometimes on the Democratic side to Bitcoin. A lot of it maybe depending on the, the media's um, unfavorable coverage at times of Bitcoin. And there's a lot of fear and kind of distancing. But there's progress being made. Um, and of course, you know, uh, partially because of the work you're doing to kind of break down those walls and show Bitcoin has so much to offer, whether it's renewable energy, whether it's pension reform. Um, a lot of the biggest problems that Dems have, Bitcoin offers solutions that aren't currently found anywhere else. And so if we can just start there, that's a great place for Dems to kind of grab on and go, whoa, 
Um, I never thought about Bitcoin as being able to stabilize pensions. How would that work? Um, or I never thought mm -hmm. about stranded wind or solar kind of just being left out there. And we have these hefty goals and wait a minute, our pension in California, actually, we're trying to divest from fossil fuels because it's one of the largest investors in fossil fuels. I don't like that, but we have no answer. Mm -hmm. What else are we going to invest in that can keep those kind of gains and balance that? And so here's, here's this thought, here's something to think about. So we're engaging folks in all areas on things like that too. Dom, can I ask, Trey, can I ask a quick question? I, I'm curious For how sure. your trip to El Salvador um, got started, Dom, because I mean, you were down there with some real heavy hitters um, on the policy front and some people that, you know, again, can carry the flag forward. How, how did that all start? You know, I'm always weaseling my way into places that I have no business being as one of my specialties. Um, but put, you know, it, it kind of came together somewhat, you know, I was working on speaking at adopting Bitcoin coming up in November. Um, the ambassador came to visit ta uh, town. I have, you know, uh, um, I was I was at an event with the ambassador and some state senators. There was already a trip kind of being planned. You know, I was going to go down to um, San Salvador to help get things ready for the talk. One of the things I'm doing is working with the San Salvador firefighters to bring them to adopting Bitcoin to kind of show them, hey, here's what we did in Santa Monica. You know, here's any learning lessons if you guys are interested. And Dom, you had Milena Mayorga come to California? I didn't do that. She was already coming to California. I just was, a, you know, I was at a um, an event that she was at. Um, and there was there was okay. a lot of Senate Senate folks there. And of course, me being the Bitcoiner, right? I, I have so I'm, I'm talking like, wow, Google just came and all this. And she's like, how do you know that? You know, and I'm like, well, because of Bitcoin, like I'm following El Salvador close. Um, and so talking with them, I was going to be around the same time. So scheduled to go at the same time as them. So I was like a stowaway for this trip in a sense. Um, but it worked it. out really good. Yeah. And we had some really good conversation and some really good, um, was able to take the group to El Zante, paid in Bitcoin down there, showed them some things, uh, taught them about the history of El Zante, how it came to be. So really good stuff. I love it. Fantastic. And so those folks, when you're having a pension conversation, um, I mean, like how, how, do, how, how does Larry Fink's recent comment that Bitcoin is a flight to safety, how does that get heard by those guys? Have they heard that yet? Is that resonating with them or is that only sort of resonating with us in the Bitcoin space? Sorry to hijack your show, Trey. I just, I've been wanting no, to- No, this is a, I brought you on because people want to hear from you all. So please continue. I, I would just say with Larry Fink's comments, I think we underestimate how much we know and hear and grab onto out in the media regarding Bitcoin. We take for we take that for granted and and for others, how it just kind of whizzes by and they hear it maybe for a split second and don't pay much credence. But when you bring it back to the attention of folks like a state senator, they definitely perk up and listen, right? To go like, wait, the head of BlackRock said, is that true? You know, like 100%, you can find it and go look at it. And then they remember, yeah, I think I did see, okay, I saw something like that. And that's a good conversation starter to to then talk about different things like, hey, have you thought about ways that Bitcoin can help sustain um, the unfunded liabilities in a pension or renewables, things like that. So it's a great 
opening of the door to to add some legitimacy to take down those those fears and worries. Yeah, that makes a, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, and I, I want to go back to one point you mentioned on too about um, progressives, and I, I think it's interesting. Anybody, any of the kind of the the closest friends I have in the Bitcoin space that are progressives, a lot of us came from a bit of like the Bernie camp, the thinking of lower class individuals thinking about how the system wasn't working. Those I think are ripe for understanding, uh, okay, the global financial system has really screwed over a lot of people, Occupy Wall Street, those kind of things. So I think there's a lot of things inherently there that, you know, on one hand, when I really take a step back, I'm like, how have they not realized yet? But on the other hand, I, I see the inner workings. I talk with friends in my own life. I, you know, I'm here in New England. So everything you talk about labor in California, I mean, I'm in the Boston area and there's nothing more entrenched than in Boston labor stuff um, in terms of um, the pros and cons of that with, with some of these things. And in my state, I try not to mention her every episode, but Elizabeth Warren um, in, in our state. And just one thing that I always go back to, I was like, if you really care about fixing problems, you really got to take a look at these solutions. Like the environment with Bitcoin, it's not what it appears on the surface. You do a little bit of research. And for me, that was enough to be like, oh my gosh. And then I kept going. And so it's like one thing for people to understand market incentives in energy and climate change matter. We're not going to get there just by saying, guys, can you stop using fossil fuels? Can we just maybe not do that? Or that, that's not how the world works. So let's operate in the, world, the way the world actually works. And Bitcoin is the Trojan horse to actually change things on the terms the world creates, not waiting for this utopia of greed won't exist. Um, we'll do the right thing. Political incentives won't matter. All of this, like Bitcoin fixes. I was hesitant for a while, but saying Bitcoin fixes this or fixes a lot. But then the more I look into it, I'm like, Bitcoin does fix a lot. And it's, it's wild how much it, it fixes. Um, so, so you had mentioned just about, you know, people saving in better money and, and getting it to these pensions. So do you find that these conversations you're having with anyone in the political realm, anyone in the labor realm, about Bitcoin, are are people listening a bit more over the years? What what has your been, experience been so far, and has there been a recent shift, or is it kind of a bit of the same? You know, it all varies, but but I do feel there's been more willingness to talk. You mentioned some really important. Um, I think a great place to start with Bitcoin is for those problems for which no solutions currently exist. Surely. Mm-hmm. If if you're if you're entertaining something as an idea and there's already progress or work being done, um, someone can shun something and go not interested. But if I'm coming to you yep. with something that could be a solution and there is no current solution, how could you possibly not listen to at least my idea and give it some kind of consideration, even if you dismiss it after? And so that offers a great opportunity. Um with anyone but you know for example when i did um um, i went with amanda cavallari um for bitcoin today coalition and we talked to a lot of dems at the federal Mm -hmm. level and i always love starting off on hey what are your top three issues of the office right now and um a lot of them talked about like whether it was like um you know pension stuff military um you know military the state of the military and and navigating uh military personnel spending different things and then and then going from there for the issues that have no uh solution and so i think there's been good um reception 
of course, sometimes you get people that are like, you know, I'm just, I'm just listening right now. I'm not really here. Um, but for the most part, there mm-hmm. was some good engagement. And as Bitcoiners, we always have this temptation to like explain the work, everything, basically three years of, of studying Bitcoin every day. We want to explain it to you in an hour, but I try to resist that and just, Hey, get here's some, here's some ideas. Let's follow up later. So I, I think, I think mm-hmm. at, as Bitcoin has built itself as a brand that is reliable and honest, um, the reception to discussing it has 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 improved um, with each cycle. Yeah, back to Elizabeth Warren just for a second. I mean, if anybody's listening that can introduce me to Elizabeth Warren, I am so eager to meet the woman because I I, I know folks and and friends with people who taught were taught by her in law school mm-hmm. who really respect her and, and say that she was one of their best professors. And, yeah. you know, I really believe in giving people the benefit of the doubt. I think she's just got this wrong. And, you know, people got mad at me on LinkedIn the other day because I said something positive about Larry Fink. And I will continue to speak positively about Larry Fink because he has publicly changed his mind on Bitcoin. And mm-hmm. I think that that is a sign of, uh, you know, I think that's that's a sign of leadership and strength and intelligence. And I think that's largely the problem with people understanding Bitcoin is that they're just intellectually lazy. They've gotten used to a society where everything is okay, the market's always going higher, and I'm not responsible. I don't need to take this utter responsibility for uh, the, the direction where things are going because everything's always just going to be rosy. And and that's just not where we are anymore. So I, I'd love to speak to Elizabeth Warren or her staff members and, and really thank them for what they have done. Um, I think that they've actually pushed Bitcoin into the public eye, not in the correct way, uh, mm-hmm. but they've, they've made it a mainstream topic. Now we just need to help them understand um, the mainstream benefits of Bitcoin. And, you know, again, how it helps us protect our national security, because one thing's for certain, there are other countries who are adopting Bitcoin and there are, there are Bitcoin mining companies that are hatching, uh, you know, very successful joint ventures with sovereign, uh, you know, wealth funds and, and sovereign uh, states to mine Bitcoin. And, and those guys are, are frankly, they're going to win, right? Those, those tiny little countries that are energy rich are going to wind up being even richer while we, you know, spiral down the drain of sitting on our high horse and saying that Bitcoin is for terrorists. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I actively want to have these discussions with people that are very public about, you know, hating Bitcoin or it's for terrorists or it helps you promote X or Y because they already have the public attention. If we can just get them to like see the light. Um, anyway, sorry. I, you know, that's, I think Lisa, I had a question for you. Yeah. Like, what do you think, you know, as not not if but when um, places that adopt Bitcoin exceed the renewable goals set by places like California, how do you think 
and Trey too, what do you think progressives will say then, right? When they go, wait a minute, California, the fourth largest economy in the world set these hefty goals. And you're telling me that, that um, a country like El Salvador has exceeded the goals that we set for renewables. And one of the ways they did it was by using Bitcoin. What then will be the response of progressive Dems to their elected leaders looking at that and looking at what's been going on? I'm going to rely on the greed of people to take this in the right direction and realize that the use of renewables in El Salvador or other places around the world uh, in order to mine Bitcoin and then create, you know, real value for their economy, both in the nature of jobs, but also as a, you know, as a pristine asset that they can hold on their, uh, you know, in their in their treasury. You know, I'm I'm going to rely on the greed that that all humans have and all governments have that we all want to be uh, we all you know would like to accumulate wealth, and I think that Bitcoin is actively uh, a solution for us for national security. I think that us mining Bitcoin, holding it on our treasury, um, you know, I, I you know I think when when communities like El Salvador and others can you know, create these circular economies that are based on Bitcoin, uh, it's going to be irresistible to other folks, right? Because you you begin to see people really lifting themselves out of economic distress. And then you see places like California, um, where again, people have this romanticized notion of what California looks like in the ocean and um, prosperity and the American dream and all the you know, driving around in a convertible, but really the reality of California right now is not dissimilar to Detroit, where you've got, uh, you know, businesses that have failed and stores that are shuttered and streets that are empty and um, the homeless population is increasing. I mean, we need to stop with the romanticized narratives of what America is and face the fact of of what America is today. We're, We're not what we were when we came out of World War II. How are we going to fix it? And 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 the only way to do that is to support activity that supports the free and honest capital markets, not a manipulated, uh, you know, not a manipulated monetary policy that you know kicks the can further down the road, so to speak, uh, to to solve our problems. Yeah, I would I would add to that too. There's so many different points I could say to what you had said, Dom, what both of you just said. But one thing that's hard for me is when when you're starting a conversation and you're not even speaking about the same planet, kind of what Lisa was uh, alluding to about the the same world. So one thing that I learned, because before coming into Bitcoin, like I have a sociology background, I mentioned progressive policies. I worked in nonprofits my whole career, which I continue to do. And so much of that ties to, to my work in Bitcoin. And that's a conversation for another time about trying to tie this world to to my nonprofit, you know, director and uh, grant writing and things like that. But um, one thing I'd say about some progressives, let's just say on the energy front or, or California, even just getting someone from the left who's entrenched in that, or even at, at, let's say an activist, a climate activist, which I would consider myself and have kind of transitioned my way of viewing that coming into Bitcoin about, well, what's actually going to get us to those goals at the end of the day? Um, many people will say and start by saying just, we have to use less energy. If that's where you're starting, it's tough to have a conversation about, about Bitcoin and about these things, because then you have to justify energy use. And I think there is a justification of energy use, first of all, 
But once you go down this rabbit hole of Bitcoin uses any energy at all, if people are starting saying, well, it just, it's just silly, it's just this crypto bro thing, as I used to think before getting into it, so I get that, that's where some people are starting. Um, even in the Elizabeth Warren camp, the staffers, that group, I don't know intimately, but from perception, I would say their perception is Bitcoin is this silly thing that shouldn't exist. Our best way to help people, as Lisa alluded to, like her camp for a long time was focused on helping people. I think since the 2008 financial crisis, something has gone downhill in that camp. We're just not talking in the same planet. Like they don't see Bitcoin as useful or worthy of existing. So for me, it's tough to have conversations when that's the starting point. Well, Trey, I'm, I have to hop in because I mean, yeah. I, I don't want everybody to like shut this off and you to lose your whole audience. But no, like um, I'm an energy maximalist. I'm not going to yeah. justify my usage of energy, nor do I think anyone should. And the entire Bitcoin is, you know, it uses too much energy. I would ask people when this is over, go walk around your house and tell me on an individual level, just you, not your family, not your kids, not your whomever else you live with, how many things do you have plugged into the wall? Mm. And I will say for myself, I did it the other day in my tiny little apartment that I live in. I had like 17 electronic devices plugged in. I had three pair of like Apple iPods and I had, I have two iPads and six computers, no joke, six computers and three keyboards. And like, you're boiling the oceans. Lisa. I, I am. I'm, I'm effing boiling the oceans by me using technology. It's also allowing me to do work, which, you know, I believe is very meaningful. It, it is, mm -hmm. gives me purpose. So maybe it's not meaningful for anybody else, but it fills me with purpose. And I, I feel like I, actually, I know factually that there are women who have bought Bitcoin and feel uh, financially secure, even though they're in a relationship, maybe married, maybe not. Um, I, you know, I won't dox anybody, but but they feel financially secure because they understand Bitcoin, and it's the first, it's the first financial tool that they've ever felt like they can hold to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my needing to plug in seventeen devices, I probably don't need to, but but we do these things and we don't think about it yet. Those same, uh, you know, people call me a, a zealot in Bitcoin, but like these same climate zealots will say you should use less energy. Like that is the dumbest argument. No one is yeah. for burning the planet. No one is for burning the planet. No one wants to get sick because we have emitted methane into the atmosphere or any of that kind of crap. Like no one is for that. Let's agree that we are not, no one wants that. But in order to push a society forward, we must use energy. And, you know, the, the California narrative, I will call it not to pick on California because I love California, um, but it is incongruent with what's actually happening around the world. So we can signal in the United States that, and I will just say in Texas, I was absolutely horrified the other day. Uh, I, I had to go up to an event way out the I-10 highway and I got off at this exit to do a U-turn to where the event was. And there was like three city blocks that were empty. There's a new development. And it said on the sign, like on this fence line, Houston net zero by 2030. I was like, for folks that know Houston, I was at I-10 in the Beltway, which is 
two miles from where every major energy company is headquartered. Like I was horrified. I'm like, who the hell wrote this stupid billboard here? Like Mm -hmm. this is not, this is antithetical to democracy. And Mm -hmm. by the way, like you've got China building one coal plant a week. So if, if they have the world's largest population and and they're improving their standard of living like we did at the turn of the century um, in the you know early 1900s, right? We electrified houses for the first time, electrified houses and businesses for the first time. There are people who are just now getting electricity all over the world for the first time. Several thanks to Bitcoin mining, by the way, in Africa. Um, like we need to stop that narrative. It's just it's actually just dumb. It's yeah. like, it's, it's non, it's a non-productive conversation. Let's figure out how can we best use energy? What is the best use of energy? The best use of energy is anything that protects, protects humans, period. Anything that, you know, is productive and, and gives us uh, security, health, well-being is a good use of energy in, in my humble energy maximalist opinion. And I'll add to, and Dom, and I'm going to kick it over to you, see any of your thoughts from what Lisa just said. Um, I want to say, too, one of my, there's so many different things, and this this podcast just talks about so many things, and what we're trying to do talks about so many things, and we will for a very long time, because we're still a very long way from being able to have these conversations, or Lisa, you being able to say one of those things, I'm not triggered because I'm a progressive Bitcoiner and understand these things, but underestimating Someone might hear that and be like, what? Like, use all the energy, this and that. And I think the one thing that I am, I'm very, I'm very critical of the right on a lot that I talk about on here, especially right politicians that have gotten involved in such a clown show um, of, of just politics and just cultural warfare and all of these things that have been happening for so long and the left does it too. It's not helping anyone. So I'm like removing myself. And a lot of my progressive friends are folks that probably would align more with what Occupy Wall Street was trying to do. Some of the tenants that Bernie said, so take away the policy angles, which I think some are kind of flawed and broken with some of the ways, but but actually the the issue of why are we going to wars all the time? Why are the poor getting poorer? Like just these basic tenants. There's there's still a lot of people there that I think are ripe for Bitcoin that we just need to approach. But one thing I'll say is that the the left has lost a lot of its argument on freedom, which is really disappointing to me. Um that that's not a talking point for them. It's like a talking point for the right, like free speech and things. A lot of Democrats or, or the left will, they hear free speech. It's almost like a, a right-wing slogan now. And that really, that really pisses me off. It really upsets me. And it's why I, I focus, I've written content for Bitcoin Magazine on this topic. I, I've written and focused on like Noster enabling free speech because I'm like, I'm not going to let the left or the right politicize freedom or free speech of the, or those tenets of what we hold dear in the US and what we're trying to hold dear across the globe for people that, that really need it. So again, back to your point of we should be able to use energy and we in the United States, at least worldwide would be ideal, should not have to justify what is this energy use. And we shouldn't have to justify why we are using Bitcoin, how we are using Bitcoin and the energy used to it because the again the market incentives we can talk about all of that it's the most renewable in, uh, industry on the planet like like bitcoin like today it, it it is um there's so much data to support that and it's continuing in that way because of market incentives so for for anyone on the left to talk about 
energy consumption and talk about these things, starting with, well, we're going to dictate what you can and can't plug in. That's totalitarian in my mind. That's not the type of progressive or anything that I am interested in. So if people are, are triggered by that listening to this show, I want them to take a step back and think about freedom and, and disassociate that word freedom from politics. Just think it would be nice if everyone could be as free as possible to do as they wish and not harm others. That's, that's where I'm at. But it's controversial for some reason. Well, Dom, Dom I'm going to let you go. But I just wanted to say, I mean, the, I've never really understood the left, the right conversation. I've always really tuned in on the fact that that's why do we fight each other? Right. Let's let's look for similarities among us. And I would think that all of us want to have individual rights. We want our kids to be safe. We want to be able to buy food and have shelter. I mean, just like let's let's go back to um, what it is just to be human. We, we don't need to divide ourselves politically. And I, I guess what always pops into my mind is when 9-11 happened, I was living in Washington, D.C. I worked for um, PG&E, the, their unregulated trading desk uh, was based in, in Bethesda, Maryland. So, uh, and I, uh, for people that don't know, I, I traded natural gas. So the day that 9-11 happened, I got to the office and on my screen was like my instant message from the night before. And it was a message from one of my brokers which I will never forget. And he had said, you know, something like, um, hey, I guess you've already left for the night. Hope you have a good night. Talk to you in the morning, whatever. It's this really touching sort of like, he, he was just a nice guy, New Yorker, married. I was good friends with his wife. Anyway, mm -hmm. when I came to work the next day and saw that message that was still on my instant messenger and then picked up the phone to call him and then 9-11 is happening, right? Like he was in the tower. He was in the North Tower. He worked for Cantor. The whole world in that moment, I mean, Washington, D.C., right? The epicenter of the right and the left. It effing didn't matter what party you identified with for about the mm -hmm. next two weeks, at least, maybe a month, maybe longer. Everyone was friends in Washington. Everyone stood outside in their front yards. Mm -hmm. Everyone flew American flags on their cars when they drove down the highway. Right. Like that moment in time united us. It was it was as if we all could just lay the battle armor down and focus on weight. Like we're Americans. We need safety and freedom and liberty and all of these things. Like, why can't we do that again without there being the loss of, you know, lives of thirty two hundred people? Like, let's mm -hmm. remember that. Like, what is at stake here? Sorry, Dom. Now you've like got me on a, I'm like could rant on this topic forever because I just feel like all of the discussion around right, left and this and that, it's like, it's like a distraction from, from yeah. what is going to be actually the steps that take us forward. Well, I was going to say, not only is it a distraction, it's a great fundraising tool, right? You, you can shatter political fundraising records by creating uh, impassioned division. It's the most successful tool possible um mm -hmm. so you read my mind i was going to say it's to keep politicians in power and it's effective fundraising that's exactly what i was going to say um there are many in the bitcoin community that might have different values than me on certain things right 
But I would say the vast majority of Bitcoiners are in this because we're seeing all these political divisions aren't working. We're seeing that people's lives are not getting better. They're getting worse in 2023. Like, look at where we are compared to where we probably should be just on so many different levels, um, just inflation, money. They're getting trickier and trickier with ways to hide how people are getting poorer, but you feel like you're not. So, so just Bitcoin is, is the, the honest leveler just saying, this is where the world is at and this is how we can actually help people. And it's one of the most effective at it. But so Dom, I wanted to get back to your point, just thinking about Bitcoin, Bitcoin being able to actually help people. If you're just talking to someone, if they're, they're a labor person or they're at a local firehouse, um, or there's someone that's listening to this conversation that's like, why, why Bitcoin? Like we, we covered just, you know, just recently covered with uh, Alex Gladstein, you know, why Bitcoin for human rights? We have a lot of conversations about human rights, why Bitcoin for the environment. Another big tenet for us is like, why Bitcoin for people that are just having a tough time getting ahead or paying their bills or being able to just afford a vacation every year or just uncertain about their family's future? You know, why, why Bitcoin? And then why these types of conversations? So, so I'm going to give you for the worker three reasons right now why Bitcoin. And this is a little sneak preview for it. I'm going to be talking about it adopting. Well, it's two, but one of them is a part A and a B. So, so workers trade time for money, right? And they do that in two mm-hmm. major, two major ways. In the short term, for that pay period, they trade their physical labor for money for the two week period. That's the immediate pay that they get. In the long term, they trade their careers and lives for money at the end, which is retirement, whether that's a 401k, whether it's a pension, you are trading time for money. And so I always say, um, if you're going to trade time for money, make sure that your money will hold up over time. And that applies both to the short term uh, in getting paid and with inflation and challenges with inflation and the long term in having a solvent retirement fund or pension where We've seen, this is not a theory, this is not an opinion, but when the financial crisis happened, the easiest place to take money when there's a shortfall or calamity is from a bunch of workers, right? You don't, you don't, take, mm-hmm. you don't take billions from the vested interests that contribute to campaigns and do all this. You take uh, $5 from each worker, tell them, hey, sorry, here's a coffee and, um, and an apology, enjoy work, we'll get through this, right? That's, that's what happens all the time. So why Bitcoin? That's a big reason. The third reason is if you look at this next commercial revolution, industrial revolution, commercial revolution, whatever you want to call it, we're, we're staring down the barrel of AI and bots. This is also not a theory. Recently in mm-hmm. California, the truckers unions just protested in Sacramento because they wanted a bill passed where there has to be a physical driver in every automated truck that gets put into service. That was vetoed by Gavin Newsom. This is this automation and AI is it it is coming. Automation and AI is coming. Workers with Bitcoin have an opportunity that I compare to an opportunity that you guys are going to laugh a little bit at this, but that the samurai, I go back to Japan, feudal Japan. Remember, In history, Japan was isolated. They had an isolationist policy. The first time that this Japanese samurai encountered the Industrial Revolution was staring down the barrel of a Gatling gun, which put them out of business forever. 
This was the most revered, elite, working class uh, uh, people in Japan. Workers right now, we're lucky. We, we live in the age of the internet. You don't have to be isolated. You can see what's coming down the pipe far ahead of what's coming, but you have to be awake. You can't be focused in this division political stuff about like, well, I don't like what the right's doing and the left's doing. You have to be awake and looking at what's coming. And the worker with Bitcoin has an opportunity to own a piece of the foundation that may one day come to replace them as a worker. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, this is a place where the right and the left should be able to unite. I always say, show me. Show me a liberal on the left and a conservative Republican on far ends of the spectrum. And if they're both struggling and, and working class and, have, and they're, they're facing becoming impoverished, on the hottest day of the year, show me two people that don't have air conditioning arguing about um, abortion or gun control. And I'll show you two people when they figure out that they both don't have air conditioning, they go, wait, wait, well, why are, why are we arguing about these these issues do you know what the real issue is it's hot as hell in here and, and we both don't have ac and there's other people that are living better than us why are we arguing about things that maybe will never affect us that's that's where people can come together bitcoin is one of those things for the worker and that's why we're trying to help workers find that um as early as possible that's beautifully said and it it, it makes me think too just in reading, you know, Lynn Alden's book, I think similar to, to what both of you are talking about. Yeah, I think Lynn's really trying to make a concerted effort to reach a lot of people. And just what you said early on, Dom, about just making bipartisan conversations or, or, or material. And Lynn had said a quote in our conversation about like, if you, if you don't have the left, that's also an extra line of defense for the Bitcoin network. So you're just leaving it completely vulnerable by not, by not having that, that population. Um, so, so again, with, with these type of things, it's just cutting through that. And you mentioned the samurai picture. It reminds me of the one you sent over joking, saying it was going to be your headshot. It was the one of all of you holding swords like samurai. That's the only thing I could picture. I was like, just flash that on the screen when you, uh, when you mentioned that. But I mean, I, I think it's beautifully said what, what you said, and it's kind of why we're all here. And something Lynn had talked about too, was just the concept of broken money it's it's a metaphor, but also seriously thinking about as time goes on, our money has been weaker and weaker and more more debt, all of these things going on at such a national level. And then it's created more of these echo chamber conversations over time that happen. So you see a lot of populism over and over and over again happen when economic times are unstable and terrible. Um, and Lynn would go on, she just tweeted this recently saying, you know, I felt like the 2010s were the 30s and the 2020s are a bit like the 40s in terms of the, the 1900s. And people can debate, you know, to what levels we're at, but it's certainly starting to feel that way in terms of uncertainty on the world stage, on the national stage. Um, I was just going to say, we got to come together on more solutions, you know, like in preparation for this show, I often think about um, for your audience, California, and I'm going to throw out some problems very quickly here. We're not going to talk about the solutions, but if you know what you know about Bitcoin, as I throw out these problems, I want you just to think about Bitcoin and, and how it could fit in. So uh, California, an outdated electrical grid. That's a fact throughout the whole state. It's a problem. Mm-hmm. Wildfires in California. It's a problem. 
what happens when there's wildfires, they shut off your electricity because um, PG&E and Edison don't want to pay lawsuits when their lines break. And then it starts a wildfire and they have to pay billions. So you, the user, your power shut off. Thinking about Bitcoin. Um, the pension system, number one investor in fossil fuels and gas in, in maybe the world is CalPERS, the number one investor. So for all the California progressives that are like, hey, renewable energy, energy we're suing um, a big oil there, the enemy, just know you're funding them more than anyone else on the planet. How do we get out of that? Starting mm -hmm. to starting to think about the infrastructure, right? Like, okay, now we have these renewable energy goals where we have enough money to build all the solar and wind in the in the universe, but we can't harness all of that um, consistently to power the whole state and and export power. Okay, I'm still thinking Bitcoin. All these things can be. There's so many ways by just focusing in on Bitcoin that you can start. Hey, use it to stabilize the grid. And then you don't have to shut off the people's power when it's wildfire season. Use it to harness a renewable and invest in infrastructure that you can then turn into a profit and help fund different initiatives in the state. Uh, start, start divesting out of CalPERS slowly into something like Bitcoin infrastructure that's solving all these issues, right? Like it comes together. We focus on this. And there, there should be unity in that, not any division. Um, even if you don't agree, like, um, with certain values, like, like it's, it's a, it's a net positive for everyone. Dom, what kind of conversations do you think are taking place right now between BlackRock or these other, you know, multi-trillion dollar asset managers and CalPERS or, or other um, organizations similar to CalPERS? What, I mean, what's the marketing look like going financial institution to pensions right now? Yeah, I mean, a lot of that, you know, will depend on the history. You know, a lot of people don't realize that CalPERS filed a lawsuit against BlackRock in the early 2000s for blowing $500 million on a real estate deal. Um, I don't know what the relationship there is specifically. There's always history there. But I'm sure BlackRock will approach the pension and say, hey, we have this ETF if it gets approved. And like you guys will be missing an easy opportunity to, uh, you know, get in a good position with this ETF, whether they're open enough to see it, I'm not sure. I hope, I wish that CalPERS will learn about the fundamentals of Bitcoin and how it can relate to infrastructure. And, you know, before that happens, even though we don't have much time um, or even after it happens, still learn about that. So I'm sure the conversations are going to happen. I'll be really interested to see which institutions jump onto a Bitcoin spot ETF. Um, but the conversations you know, I'm sure they're being had. I'm sure they'll send people to the pensions, uh, both both in Massachusetts, Trey, where you're at, in California, and they'll say, "Look, we have this product. We have a way for you to benefit um, from Bitcoin." I hope they'll take that a step further, though, and look to things like infrastructure, um, quality education for the state constituents, and things like that, rather than just kind of put in just a little money as an asset and go, "All right, you know, we still don't want to learn about this thing." Right. But I would say to you that by making an investment in Bitcoin in, in the ETF, right, which then buys physical Bitcoin, you actually are supporting infrastructure because what you're doing is you're allowing mining operators and those providers uh, with uh, 
you know, potentially higher price Bitcoin, which allows them uh, to create a profitable, uh, you know, business unit. And I, I think one of the, you know, one of the problems in the Bitcoin mining space with with regard to the capital markets is that because there's a lack of um, forward price curves, so there's there's an in, there's an inability for a traditional investor to see to to predict based on a forward price curve what their return might look like. Um, they're just shying away from from doing it. But I think you know the more dollars that pour into Bitcoin, the more companies that will uh, you know be built and survive within the ecosystem. And then that will allow for, you know, these specialized aspects of um, the capital markets to be created and to be supported much in the way that other commodity uh, derivatives, you know, were created and, and why derivatives are so important in the energy markets. So I do think one supports the other. I do think if you make an investment directly into an ETF that buys physical Bitcoin, that you are supporting the ecosystem without having to pick a winner specifically and, you know, an infrastructure without having to go, oh, well, let's see, let's investigate this whole ecosystem. We're going to choose this one out of 500. We'll choose this one. If you just own physical Bitcoin, you really have optionality on every project that is ongoing. For sure. Absolutely. And it sends such a strong, a strong signal to every, you know, to all other aspects like, hey, this thing, this is okay. Right, which is gonna, which should undo hopefully a ton of misinformed media attacks on Bitcoin, which have, has formed the opinion of so many people that we know and care about, who have kind of put up a wall to hearing some of the better sides and and the real value of Bitcoin. So, hundred percent, Lisa, that that's that's um very based. Yeah, and I, I'd say that's one of the ways we're we're gonna win. I mean, just. Funds in general and the market in general is so psychological, like all of this, um, just in general, just in investment and everything. And then so psychological are these perceptions. And one of the ways that I've found, like, it starts with like, think about like Lisa was mentioning her friend group and Dom, your friend group. It starts with all of us thinking of our friend groups. Like for me, I had a friend recently who was like, hey, tell me more about that like crypto podcast thing you're doing. And I was like, um, where do I start? So it's Bitcoin. And then I talked for like an hour while we were walking around and stuff and uh, the human rights angle, like nailed it for him. Other people, it's the environment. Just they've never had people like, please, if you're listening, you're probably into Bitcoin. You're probably one of those niche progressive Bitcoiners that's very progressive, very Bitcoiner. Um, remember that a lot of people just haven't even heard even an ounce of oh, Bitcoin isn't just this article or just funding this terrorist group and boiling the oceans. Like, here's a human rights story. Here's an environmental story. Here's this, this, you know, pension fund story, whatever it is. Like, do not underestimate that most people in, in the U.S. and around the world have not heard those stories yet about Bitcoin. Like, we're so early. Right. And, but yes, 100%. And I have found that the human rights angle is so effective with reaching, you know, kind of my, you know, women sort of in midlife, right? Like, they mm -hmm. really relate to the story of um, Farida or mm -hmm. Yumi Park, right? When they hear those. But also people relate to me when I tell them why I got into Bitcoin. Yeah. You know, I'd gotten divorced, was looking for ways to invest, um, you know, what I took from the divorce. And 
you know, fear is a huge motivator. I was mm-hmm. hugely fearful that, you know, divorcing a very successful man that I was going to, you know, be a 65 year old woman and live under a bridge. I, mm-hmm. and I say that with a hundred percent seriousness, like mm-hmm. I was, couldn't eat, you know, weighed 20 pounds less than I do today. Like just was fear, full of fear and stress around my own financial stability, my, my own view of what my financial future looked like. And, you know, I started to investigate all sorts of investment opportunities and then just basically decided, look, I don't want to be a stock picker. I don't want to be an equity analyst. I don't want to be um, a financial engineer and have to go back and get an MBA. Like none of that is interesting to me. I want to go plant dahlias in my garden and I love to cook and I love having my friends over and I love to read and, uh, you know, like, so how can I just support myself without having to understand every financial tool in the universe? And when you just really understand how plain Bitcoin is, right, at the heart of it, it's just plain. It just is the most secure asset, pristine asset, scarce asset that exists. You can't choose anything more scarce. We know that scarcity drives value. So you know, tell your own stories, right? Bitcoiners, like tell your own stories. Why was this important to you? What has this done for you to solve whatever the problem was that that you felt like you were solving for? And for me, you know, again, like I wasn't trying to be greedy. I wasn't trying to be a, you know, a super rich person and I was going to get rich tomorrow. It was just like, wow, you know, I have this little bit of money that I need to invest in something and I don't want to be a capital markets expert. I don't, I'm too lazy to go back and get an MBA. And frankly, it's like not what interests me. Um, I, I'm, I do thoroughly understand that scarcity drives value. I'm going to buy some Bitcoin. Like I tell people, I just have just been in an event for the last 24 hours with 25 women who are my age. Like I told that story. It resonated with every single person. And, and like the, group that I was with is a very wealthy group of people, but it resonated, right? We all have fears. Lisa under a bridge, Lisa under a bridge, that's an impossibility that could just never, the world would end if that happened. So you should have known better that that was impossible. Um, I want to just kind of go off of Lisa, what you were saying in that when um, we visited when we had the picture of those swords, we visited Schwarzenegger's office. Sorry to all the progressives, but I know Schwarzenegger gets love as a bipartisan guy. So he's, you know, that's what but, that office was. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we, there's an institute that he does for public policy in California out of USC. I've been trying to crack that, that code for a while. You know, Bitcoin is a space that not only benefits from women in the space, but it is actually our going to be our salvation because Lisa came through and Mags and and um, um, uh, Lynn, who's who's another friend of ours, and they came in and it was just like we got to talk about Bitcoin at the institute, and and it's from their perspective and way of kind of like connecting, and so we need it so bad. And I'm, I, you know, I, I really, I know there used to be a tilt of balance and more men in the space, but we need more um, women in the space, like trailblazing, building and, and helping to show other people the way that are non-Bitcoiners. So it's a, such an important aspect of Bitcoin for sure. 
um, not wanting to pivot, Trey, you mentioned human rights, and I know we were going to talk about FinCEN, and I don't know the time-wise, but human rights is an obvious segue to FinCEN and people not being a tool of like how they're supposed to feel or not and looking at really when things like FinCEN come up, how will it affect human rights and people's ability? So I don't know if we want to touch on that. Yeah, we we ended up, the, the conversation went in great places. So I don't know how much, how much time we have to touch on that. Um, we've been sharing a lot of information. I know uh, Bitcoin Policy Institute is going to publish some pieces on FinCEN. There's a lot of work that I've been doing chatting with behind the scenes with people to get the word out about this, but we can chat maybe for five minutes about it. If you want to just touch on it for folks. Um, I'm going to speak with Dennis Porter soon about it. Um, so there's a lot of conversations. I've been really thrilled to see the response from really intelligent Bitcoiners and, and, and beyond the response to this in a really smart, intelligent way, not like joke hate mail to politicians, like really well thought out responses to why this is, insane level of, of response kind of, we were talking about 9-11, it's kind of like that Patriot Act response, right? You're taking a moment of vulnerability and then placating it onto like, okay, here's, here's the Patriot Act. So similar just for at a 30,000 foot for people listening, just really, really broad financial, um, just in, insensitivity and, and spying and things that we've gotten really, really used to for crypto assets, but it could involve Bitcoin. No one really knows. They just put a lot of language in there that implies like, you know, it, it makes it seem like if this were to go through, we're not sure anyone can use Bitcoin in all of the ways that people are free to currently <laughs> with a lot of applications, with lightning, with so many different use cases. And the best thing you might get out of it is a BlackRock ETF, which is, you know, really, really fighting for the people on that one. But anyway, if you both want to want to want to touch on it, um, I know a lot of people are very concerned about it? I guess one question I'll ask is, do you feel like that concern is well warranted? Do you feel like this is another piece that's that's coming out, a piece of proposed, signing legislation, just kind of uh, action, if you will, issuance from how I understand it? Do you feel like it's overblown or do you feel like it's, it's like, yeah, we need to we need to fight this one? After reading the 80 pages, I always see these things in the headlines and I go, okay, people freaking out again read the text and you get the reality of, of kind of like which fears are unwarranted. There are some very sick, realistic, um, tangible concerns that everyone should have reading the 80 pages of the proposed regulation. One misunderstanding is that it, it tries to, it's less about controlling activity and more about surveillance and the ability of um, you know, utilizing the Banking Secrecy Act and the um, Patriot Act to be able to collect, tap, and surveil information and strip away privacy. That doesn't always necessarily mean someone will do something about it, right? If the government can listen to my phone call, I, I may still be, they may not care, but it gives the opportunity for abuse if they want to care. And, and there is something that should be kind of focused on one area before I kick it to Lisa for your audience, the progressives is look through that document. And there are ways there are, there are mentions in the document of negative potential impacts on things that, that progressives care about. And one of them that's mentioned explicitly in the document is that this could negatively impact remittance payments between people and their families abroad. Now, I know that the Dems care very much about immigration and human rights treatment of, of immigrants in the country and their families abroad. 
that's a good place to start is that if this is going to negatively impact remittance payments through Bitcoin, a very net positive from Bitcoin and the Lightning Network, um, how do we protect against that? And how do we maintain the protection of people that are just trying to work and send their family money and then not being able to do that because, mm -hmm. because there's a blanket uh, regulatory recommendation to catch massive terrorist groups that might be using Bitcoin at some point to fund, you know, it's, it's the, it's the common, like, Hey, it's too, it's too stressful to catch the, and locate the, um, uh, the bad actor. Let's put a blanket thing to make our job much easier. Then we can look at anyone's conversation, you know, at any time. Yeah. I would encourage people that don't want to read the 80 pages. Um, Preston Pish published an article, I believe it came out this morning. It's in. Victoria. I just saw it before our interview. Yeah, it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. It's it's a short read. I, I would read that. I mean, again, I. Yeah, I think the problem is that it increases surveillance and decreases privacy. Um, but what we don't realize is that while this has created quite a stir on Twitter, like. I mean, let's be honest. This is the most dangerous thing that we all own. Mm -hmm. And we knowingly have it glued to ourselves 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. Like, turn off your location. Turn off, you know, turn your thing on airplane mode when you're with your family or, or turn it off. Like, we have, we have allowed surveillance to be very commonplace in every activity that we engage in, in America. We mm -hmm. all have smart this and smart that and smart refrigerators and, oh, I can talk to my thermostat. It's like we've stopped thinking. And this maybe is a way for people to like, maybe this, maybe this is actually good because it forces us to go, wait, let me refocus and go, oh, I really am giving up a lot of my own privacy. And I guess when I see stuff like this, what, what it reminds me of is um, my daughter lived in China her junior year of high school. She, uh, she did a, uh, a program over there. And she got out of school one day. She and her friends got out of school one day, and they uh, most of her friends rode their bike to and from school. Um, I probably had like the only 17-year-old in, in the world that doesn't ride a bike. She doesn't, I guess she technically knows how, but she doesn't, she doesn't like bikes. Um, and so she, she'd take the bus or she'd walk, but one of her friends took the wrong bike. They actually took a Chinese, they were on a college campus. Their high school was on a college campus. And this girl took an, a Chinese student's bike. Within 30 minutes, the Chinese police were at this student, this American student's family, you know, she was at a host family at the host family's house. They had identified her with cameras on the streets and like, you know, like they knew who she was 30 minutes later, like surveillance already exists in other countries. I guess that's where we're going. We're going to be surveilled. Maybe that's better for crime. I would argue that that's worse for all of us. Um, but, but perhaps, you know, this discussion again, we turn the narrative around and we go, you know what? We're really glad that they brought this up. We're really glad that they raised these issues because maybe this highlights for people the danger of, uh, you know, an enforcement society. 
you know, in, enforcement is great. You know, we we want safety. Uh, I, I don't think anybody again. Nobody should be against. Um, you know, the the use of money safely. I, I think we can all agree that we don't want to fund terrorists. I mean, I work for a bank. We um, participate in in all compliance programs to make sure that, you know, we follow the letter of the law. Nobody wants to help finance uh, terrorists, not not a bank, not a person, not like it, that just doesn't make any sense. But by punishing someone that runs a node on Bitcoin and is verifying transactions and and telling them that perchance, you know, that should be an illegal op, uh, operation and you shouldn't be able to run your own node. Like what? Like what? We've, we're losing our minds. Yeah. And it's unenforceable. No, it, it's, and Bitcoin, luckily we have some of the smartest uh, developers and coders. It's, Freedom will always find a way. Freedom will always find a way. Lisa, I know you're letting them off the hook with reading the 80 pages, but I still say tap into source documents. I'm a huge fan of this because even Preston, um, you know, if I decided that I was going to cover Trey's book and my intents were to be as completely accurate as possible and convey his message directly, stats show that I would be able to convey about 50% of that correctly with the best intentions. And I know a theme of this show has been political division and getting involved in, in kind of these like polarizing debates, but source documentation remains one of the best ways to carve through um, polarized political debates and find truth and go, all right, like um, this thing was accurate, but I read this passage on what's really being proposed. And that's an unwarranted fear that's being used to stoke polarization between different sides. Um, just, mm -hmm. just saying that. All right. I'll read the 80 pages. Just forget or what just I said. For, just, it, it has the, they have, they have it sections. So you can look and just go, I'm interested in this part or this part um, or keyword search on source documents is awesome. Just look up like, the word wallet or look up the word node and then you can see where it mentions those things in there and just read those. But there's a lot of stuff out there. Like Trey started the show off. I mean, you can't read it all. Yeah. It's very, it's very big. Um, yeah. And we'll, I mean, we'll, we'll keep talking about this cause I, I think that's usually the, the truth is like there, there's some things to be a bit alarmist about and others, maybe not so much, but we have grown too comfortable with this surveillance and the one hope I'd say for progressives to articulate is if you look at the stats of who actually owns and uses crypto, it's sometimes it's a bit harder with this data. Do they, do they break it down Bitcoin versus crypto, but even Bitcoin in the United States, it, it, it's a larger percentage share of people of color and people who are looking for different financial resources because they don't have access to traditional banks or they've been screwed by banks and mortgage loans. They've been screwed by so many things. So again, if you're saying you're going to surveil, and the, I've had good conversations with progressives about what surveillance has done, like facial recognition technology for people of color in police departments, there's been a big pushback on some of those things. That that should be some of the pushback we're using for things like this. Like, the, like do better police work. Do not be lazy on this. Do police work. Do not surveil everyone on the planet. You know, that's the kind of country we live in. So we'll definitely be pushing against uh, back against that. And a lot of other people will too. Um, we, we've gone over what I originally uh, mentioned, but I want to thank you both for, for jumping on and having this conversation. It went to so many beautiful and awesome places. And thank you both so much for 
what you do in this space. You're, you're both just so incredible. Um, Lisa, I've been following you for longer, but Dom, just starting to get to know you and see your impact. Um, you're both doing incredible work for the Bitcoin community, for, for people just in general across our globe. So, so keep doing that and let us know how we can support and amplify those messages. And I know one we, way we can is if you want to let people know where they can find you, follow up on your, your projects and your work, what's the best place for people to, to find you? Thank you for having me. And thank you for letting me uh, participate in this, especially with Dom. Dom May, uh, I would argue that, that Dom is one of the most well-known folks in Bitcoin. I, I don't, uh, I have totally enjoyed his uh, plan to help people protect their wealth and to, to really move this forward. So, um, you know, hats off to you, to you both. I, I would just say to folks, reach out to me. I'm really easy to find on Twitter or on LinkedIn. And I do reserve a couple of spots um, a week where if you want to set up a you know 15 minute or so chat, I'm happy to chat with you about Bitcoin or a project that you might be working on. I'm happy to chat with you about Custodia. Um, but I would say, you know, the most meaningful thing that perhaps we could all just be doing is to like figure out if there's a way that we can fill, fulfill our own purpose. I, I think that we were all put here to serve other people. And for me, working in Bitcoin is allowing me to, to, you know, fulfill that purpose that I've looked for for a long time. You know, trading gas was, was hugely fun. It, uh, I look back on it now and I go, yeah, it wasn't maybe all that fulfilling. It was fun. It paid a lot, but it wasn't like a fulfilling profession. And this is hugely fulfilling to be able to protect people to something that uh, will protect themselves. So if you're looking to switch industries, if, if you can see perhaps the connection between your current industry and Bitcoin, maybe you're the one that takes the message, you know, for, uh, you know, of Bitcoin and you translate it into your current, uh, your current environment. I mean, that's hugely valuable. I would say in, in many ways that might be more valuable than folks leaving a fiat job and coming into Bitcoin because, you know, I, I do try to post really frequently on LinkedIn and people always say like, why do you do that? No one on, you know, no one on LinkedIn likes Bitcoin. And I'm like, well, I do it because no one on LinkedIn likes Bitcoin. So I feel like mm -hmm. if I can just continue to put a message out there and talk about Bitcoin and just like short little why this, um, you know, little tidbits of information, maybe over time it, it resonates. So, you know, find purpose in Bitcoin and let's all go forth and, you know, make the world a better place for our kids. All right. Over to you, Dom. Where can folks find you, man? I got a hundred things, but I'm going to focus on three right now. Okay. I'm really going to focus here. Number one, going off what Lisa said. If you think you have nothing to contribute to Bitcoin, that is incorrect because there is someone out there right now that hasn't found Bitcoin that will positively impact Bitcoin in a way that we've yet to imagine. That could be you. And so learn, find where your avenue is, find where you have access to people to educate and teach them about it and pursue it. You'd be surprised what you will find. Um, number two, proofofworkforce.org. That's where you can find um, our nonprofit and our mission. We need help in spreading the word um, and, and we need help and support. If you know anyone that wants to contribute or support us, I promise you that our work will be carried out 100% in connecting with workers and helping them find Bitcoin um, to their advantage and, and to the advantage of whatever group or org they're a part of. Third, 
I'm going to put out an open bounty to a friend of mine to help orange pill Senator Ben Allen out of California. Uh, he's a buddy of mine that I've known since the beginning when he first ran for office. Um, I've been working on orange pilling him. And if there's progressives listening, you have to go get Ben Allen and be like, dude, you got to find Bitcoin. He's getting there. He just, uh, I, I made him read little excerpts from the book of Satoshi and read the white paper. Um, we will make progress in California. We will make sure that California comes around to seeing the benefits of Bitcoin um, for the constituents in the state. And, um, you know, that's that's it. It's been great coming on. And we'll also get Ben Allen on a space tray one of these days for the progressives because he is a progressive. Um, and, um, you know, we'll, we'll, I look forward to connecting with you and the mission you're on and all your listeners and, and supporters are doing great work. Yeah, let's do it. We need more politicians on the show. We need more left politicians, for better or for worse. Uh, we need to, to. I know there's a lot of good conversation. You've, I've chatted with the folks at Bitcoin Today Coalition doing awesome stuff. Uh, Ro Khanna, I think he's close. I think we're close. I've been trying to get in touch with their office and work through that. So one of these days uh, we will. But thank you both so much. This was so much fun. Such a good conversation. And uh, be well. We'll do this again soon. Trey, Lisa, thank you guys. Thanks, Trey.